those of you online, if you're new with us, my name is Chris Payton. I'm the lead pastor here and always so thankful to be able to stand before you and talk about the Word of God, present, expound on the Word of God. It's such an exciting time and moment to be able to do that. I've got some good news for you today, a lot of good news, actually. This is a good news message, a lot of information, but a lot of good news. But the first bit of good news, if you don't know, our children's director, Aisha Bellany, just had her fourth boy. And when I say just had, I mean like yesterday, two days ago, something like that. And his name's Christian. I will be calling him Chris, uh, Chris Bellany. And uh, very, very happy for Aisha and Dewan and all of the Bellanys. I know Dewan really wanted a girl. They're just going to keep trying. We're going... We're, Get a basketball team of boys, and we'll just, we'll just keep believing for you. But uh, we love the Bellanese, and uh, we're thankful for them. Uh, all of our children's workers, um, Carrie Davis, our mission director, will be helping out with children's ministry, as, as well as all of our great volunteers. So, so thankful for a vibrant, loving church that loves the next generation children, youth, which are going to camp as we speak, driving right now to Gloria, New Mexico, and of course, campus ministry. We love our campus. We love the next generation and believe God has great calls for all of them. So that being said, though, let me give you some more good news. Today, we are in part five of our Genesis series. We're going through about the first 23, 24 books of Genesis in this summer, and so every summer we like to grab a, 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 a Bible book and just go through it, just hammer it as much as we can. Now, there's no way to exhaust everything, but I'm going to give kind of a brief, uh, maybe not brief, but some overview of where we've been in case you're new with us or haven't been a little while and encourage you to pick up maybe some of via YouTube, our podcast, whatever, some of the past sermons. So you're up to date as we're really building and seeing this story of God, the beginning of everything out of the book of Genesis. Genesis has so much to say to frame or a lot of us reframe our idea of why we're here, what is going on, why is there evil, who is God, why are there other things happening, spirits, things around, what is going on in our world, and all of us were brought into this world, and we think it's all about us because all we know is our known experiences, but then as we face challenges and as we see corruption and evil and we deal with things around us, we don't understand without a biblical worldview that you were born into a world at war. You were born into a story that God has a part for every person. Let me say that. Every person in this room, God has a part for you to play. But you are born into the story of God. And Genesis helps explain the purpose of man. But ultimately, our goal is to see the beauty and glory an amazing nature and character of our God and to raise up Jesus as the most exemplary, beautiful, amazing salvation story of all. So we're going to do that today. And as we've been saying, and this will be my, my third time, and I believe strongly that repetition brings remembrance. You need repetition in your life. So I'm going to repeat 
The Bible starts as an epic tale. It's a beautiful tale. And if, if you don't see like the big picture, the big meta narrative, the big story, you're, you're going to kind of get lost in some of the little stories. So we're trying to paint a picture in the first 11 chapters of this big story. It starts with these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. An epic story. What's going to happen? Where do we land? And the last chapter of the Bible, not the last verse, but one of, it says this, and they will reign forever and ever. This is a beautiful narrative, a tale weaving the kingdom of God throughout, the glory of God throughout, and the story of God throughout. And we want you to love this story, understand this story, and see what has happened in this story that actually will frame your story really, really well. So we've been talking about not just one fall of man that we see in the creation of God, the fall of man, the redemption of man, and ultimately the renewal of God and his kingdom on earth, which is the story of the Bible. But we actually see three separate falls. A lot of times we might grow up in church or think, when we think of the fall, all we think of is Adam and Eve. That was only the first fall that we see that continues to fall and fail that we ultimately see Jesus came to undo and to restore. And so we talked about this, Genesis 3, you have Adam and Eve in a garden represented like priests of God, called to multiply and make more creation and expand this garden throughout the whole earth, God's glory, his love, and his story, and his beauty. God wants to share that with humanity, so he creates humans. But not only humans did he create, he also created spiritual beings. The Bible would call them heavenly hosts. Sons of God is another term. Spirits. He creates a spiritual world, an unseen world, a supernatural world, as well as characters within matter and energy. Men, women, animals, fish of the sea. We see this creation, and we see in the garden this serpentine, this snake-type figure deceives man and women into not trusting fully in God. They didn't just eat a fruit, and that sounds really trivial in our culture. Oh, gosh, God's so trivial. He brought the fall of man because they, they, they ate a fruit, right? That's a very, very simplistic, dumb way to look at Scripture. It is trying to teach that they decided that instead of going God's way, and listening to his word to proclaim what is truth, what is reality, what is right and wrong, they decided, oh, that looks good. And they took it and ate it, and they made their own morality. They made their own truth, right? And so this broke relationship because it's all about relationship, not just about rules and obeying certain laws, but God was walking with Adam and Eve, loving on them. It's about relationship. And you know this, anytime you have two visions in a relationship, you have two different ways of viewing the world or morality or good, it causes division. Two visions, die meaning two, two different visions. And those two visions can break a relationship. God desires one vision and to trust him with reality and how he views everything. And that's what they broke. They broke that trust. They broke that relationship and made their own path, their own way, and said, this is right. It brought in human rebellion 
into creation. And like an eruption, like a volcano, erupts from the outside and, and erupts sin into the whole creation. If you're into Stranger Things, think of the upside down erupting into the world and starting to disintegrate and kill nature, starting to kill relationship between man and man themselves, man and woman, man ultimately and God. And it erupts a kingdom of darkness on the earth through this human rebellion and deceit. But then last week, if you didn't, uh, if you didn't hear it, you need to listen to it, take some time. But Genesis 6 shows us another fall. The author, Moses, is trying to convey that this depravity continued to go down, and you see actually a spiritual rebellion. Not just humans rebelling, but ultimately spirits, which were called sons of God, which are little lowercase g gods, okay? And we gave this picture last week of what the Bible calls the divine counsel. God in and of himself, Yahweh is the creator. He's the only uncreated one. He's always been, he is I am. And he creates not only man, but he creates other spiritual beings that the Bible will call sons of God, which is where we get the terms sons of God, princes of the spiritual beings, Angels is another term, but angel is just a job description. It's not a person or an actual thing. When the Bible talks about angels, it is just telling them their job, their messengers. But they're spiritual beings with a message from God. And, and we have to have this worldview. I know a lot of times in Western Christianity, we do not have a supernatural worldview, and it's a shame because it's not a biblical worldview. The characters in the story that we're in are supernatural as well as natural. And this is important because in Genesis 6 this fall, these sons of God, these spiritual beings, actually left the spiritual realm, it said, and procreated with women and created what the Bible says are Nephilim. I mean, this is like sci-fi stuff. We talked about it last week. We don't have a lot of time to go into it. But what then created in, in the continued depravity of man was lawlessness, continued evil, a presence of darkness in the very DNA of man, and God had to bring a flood. And we talked about that last week, why he had to do it. He's not genocidal, but in his love and mercy, he had to preserve his line and the seed. And then today, we're going to talk about the third fall. And it's in the story in Genesis 11, after the flood, Noah and his sons come out, Noah creates a vineyard. The first thing you're going to do after a long flood and a depressing time is get some wine. Um, and so we see this story, we see Noah uh, tell, the, the, God tell Noah and his sons, multiply, be fruitful, multiply, same message as he gave Adam and Eve at the beginning. And they did. They started procreating. We see in Genesis 10, the table of nations. You see all these nations represented. And then here we are, Genesis 11, and I want to postulate to you a third fall that really shows, in essence, let me tell you, all that Jesus did to undo the work of sin. He did not come just to remove you from earth to go to heaven one day, but also to change and to fix all of the corruption of all three of these falls. And that's what we're going to see today. Turn your Bibles to Genesis 11. We're going to do a little bit of study into this today to understand what is happening with the Tower of Babel. It's more than just erecting a tower, creating some kind of thing. Again, 
more than like Genesis 3 of fruit. There's a lot going on here that we want to try to unpack. Check this out. Genesis 11, verse 1. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. This is um, current day Iraq area. Verse three. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord, this is the word Yahweh, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us Go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. This is the word of the Lord today. Now, what's interesting as you read the Bible, we do have to understand the author, the intent, the context, and who is it talking to? Uh, I, I like one theologian that constantly reminds us when we read the Bible, the Bible is written for you, but it's not written to you specifically. These scriptures are written to the Israelites. Moses is trying to frame for them an understanding of their history and how they got where they are. Where are they? At this point, they're in Mount Sinai or some, sometime he's trying to explain to them their history because here's the deal. If your history gets erased, you have no memory of your history, you will not know who you are. If today I grabbed Jason and he had amnesia and forgot everything about his history, he would try to figure out, who am I? I don't know my mom, I don't know my dad, I don't know where I came from, I don't know what I've learned, I don't know anything. And so we have to understand history in the right context. At this time, the Israelites would have grown up for 400 years, we know, in the book of Exodus. They would have grown up in Egypt And they would have all sorts of teachings and writings from the Egyptians and their idea of history. They would hear a little bit about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the people were studying in Genesis to understand their history. But it would also be mixed and convoluted with a history of the world because this history wasn't yet written until Moses came and introduced it. That being said, there is some 
account in history in a book called Enuma Elish, and it's a Babylonian account of creation. That's very, very interesting because here's the deal. When you see histories of other worldviews, of other nations, you can kind of get a little bit of a hint, maybe with a skew of where they are, or maybe understand a little bit of yours. There's hints of truth in all of it. And I thought this was interesting as I was geeking out, seeing this same account in another book of histories from a book from Babylonian times and their account of creation. Now, they're going to mention this God named Marduk that the Bible calls Bel in scriptures. Um, And also there is references to Marduk. So this is a God. Listen to what this says. When Marduk heard this, brightly glowed his features like the day. Construct Babylon, whose building you have requested. Let its brickwork be fashioned. You shall name it the sanctuary. The Anunnaki applied the implement. For one whole year, they molded bricks. When the second year arrived, they raised high the head of a Zagalia, equaling Apsu, having built a stage tower as high as Apsu. They set it up an abode for Marduk, Enlil, and Ea, In their presence, he was seated in grandeur. Now, why are we reading this? Okay, not because it's scriptural, but because we see a history that's showing a parallel to what Moses is trying to convey to the children of Israel as well, that Yahweh would have instructed him, here's actually what was happening. But we see this parallel, and it's interesting and good to see this parallel because you see more is happening even in history, than just erecting a temple, than just building something really, really high, right? They're not just doing that. There is this tower that is a temple trying to reach the skies to proclaim the pride and goodness of humans, but also to tell God, you are going to have to come down to us because we're coming to you. And there are three basic things we see that are happening and sins that are happening within the context of the Tower of Babel. Number one, we see disobedience. The people in this story defied God's command to fill the earth by setting together in Shinar. God's command was go, produce, multiply, take my glory to the ends of the earth. But see, man, we get real comfortable really quickly and really easily. We want to have our comforts. This is a theological term that some of you might be offended that love cats. I'm sorry. We love cats too. We love all God's creation. But there is a theology called cat-dog theology. And it's been said that dogs have masters and cats have staff. Is that not true? And while you may think you own a cat, they consider you little more than staff. And in a similar way, many people say God is their master, but they treat him as their servant. So in Bible study, the idea, here's the idea. Bible study typically is designed to learn about who God is and we think what God can do for us. A cat theology is their prayer time is limited to telling God what they want God to do for them. And their lifetime is focused on getting from birth to death in the safest, 
softest, right? And come on, is this true? Cat lovers over here. Easiest and most comfortable fashion possible. So our time together kind of begins with this idea. A dog may look at you and think, you feed me, you pet me, you shelter me, you love me, you must be God. Dogs, come to the door. (laughs) But a cat looks at you and thinks, you feed me, you pet me, you shelter me, you love me, I must be God. The sin, how we frame our view of God matters. How we read the Bible matters. And these people's view of God was, I don't want to do that. I want to be comfortable. I don't want to go out. I don't want to multiply. That takes work. This city, look at this land. Look at this city. It's so great. We're going to stay here. Isn't that your and my proclivity as well? God says, go make disciples as you go. Teach, love people, be on mission. And we go, yeah, but man, Netflix binging is so great. I mean, Disney Plus just had the new Avenger. Like, ah. And that's not bad in and of itself to do, but as a whole, as we, is that, is that, oh, okay. Sorry, Siri's talking to me, sorry. He's like, yes, Lord. Uh, Disobedience. Uh, if God sounds like Siri, something's wrong. Uh, disobedience. Yes, Lord, I, I, I'll do this. I, I, I'll, I'll go wherever you want me to go. And then slowly we get comfortable. Slowly comfort sets in and, and we start to treat God like, oh, well, why do bad things happen to me? God, if you're good, then everything should be easy. But see, you never grow that way. There are muscles you'll never grow spiritually that God has to take you through things, but I'm comfortable, I'm good. And God's going, oh, I got something better for you and higher for you. Go, extend my glory because it's for your good. All of God's commands are for your good, but see, they got comfortable in disobedience. But then secondly, discontentment. The people dissatisfied with their creatureliness built a tower temple to ascend it and become like the gods trying to be like God. and This is kind of a very self-help mentality, like I've got this, I can figure this out. If I just do these things, I can ascend to God. I don't even need you anymore. You don't have to come down to me. You know, I, I'm not really gonna accept your charity. I don't need that from you, God. You just serve me, do the things that I can't control, but I can control most of my life. And this discontentment sets in and it causes us to take authority in our lives in places sometimes is good, but without God always ends up bad. Finally, pride, of course. The sin we see within this context of the Tower of Babel pride, the people decided to make much of themselves instead of their creator. Look at what we do. Look how great we are. And I love this because God, see, he promised that he would never make a flood again. Like, I'm not going to destroy everybody. But he's seeing man, and he's seeing them one. He's seeing them coming together. And he's like, there's nothing that will be impossible for them. And we read that, and we're like, yes, men can do anything when we're in unity. The problem is, apart from God, if God's not involved with it, it will not end well. Human history alone sees that. This has been one of the most atheistic 
past couple generations, hundred century. And we don't need God anymore. And God's, God's dead. All these kind of things. And yet we produce more murder. More horrible atrocities than ever before in the history of the world. It's unbelievable how we can unite. But see, God has to protect us from ourselves. Here's, here's an interesting, fun little didactic we see within the context of scripture with the words of the people in Genesis 11 and the words of the Lord. Check this out. You see the A, B, C, D, and E. Notice the difference. The words of the people, they have one language and a common speech. And now go to A, the words of the Lord. They're one people and one language. There's this unity and this oneness, but when it's apart from God, it becomes dangerous. B, they say these words, come let us and let us. Look what we're going to do apart from God. And the scripture tells us God responds, come let us, me, the heavenly host. We will come, the Trinity, if you will, and let us do our work. Listen, you don't want your us to be different than God's us. See, let us build ourselves a city with a tower. God comes in and causes them to cease building. D, let us make a name for ourselves. D calls that name when you do it of yourself, confusion, Babel. E, Lest we be scattered over the face of the earth. The Lord scattered them over the whole earth. They said, lest we have to go and continue to be scattered, we're going to do it ourselves. And God says, this is not going to end well. And again, just like the flood, he didn't want to destroy them, so he had to confuse them, and he had to send them. Like He forced them out. And this is good for us to understand because... I don't know about you, but how many times have I thought I'm walking in the will of God or God, give me that, that girl, like thank God he didn't answer that prayer when I was 13 years old, you know, to have that girl be my wife or thank God he didn't give me that one job or, or set me up at that one college or, or a number of little bitty things that thank God he came in and said, no, let us. And he came in and said, no, I'm going to confuse that because that's not where I want you. How many times, if we really saw all the ways that God kind of thwarted our plans and said, no, no, no. I don't want you to be destroyed, and you're going to destroy yourself if you do this. I'm going to cause some confusion because I've got to get you on the right path. If we knew, even just this week, of how many times God did that for you, you would show up to church like this every week. Thank you, God. This doesn't mean you can't have your plans. This doesn't mean he doesn't want unity. This is unity apart from God for selfish gain. Now, let me give you, again, Moses' perspective of what all happened here, not just disobedience and rebellion and pride, what we just said, but there is an even bigger picture that we want to encapsulate today of why this fall was so great. Moses, as he's telling his, the histories to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 32, here's what he says. Read these verses with me, 32, 8 through 9. When the Most High, this is the Most High, not the other spiritual beings, the Most High, Yahweh, gave to the nations their inheritance. When he divided mankind, this is talking about the Tower of Babel, they're divided in tongues 
and nations and scattered throughout the earth. It says this, he, Yahweh, fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. What is Moses trying to fill in for the children of Israel of what happened in history? Here's what he's saying. When this tower erected, after a new covenant, after the flood, and a new position to start over, and they erected this tower in their pride, God said, I'm done with the nations. I'm done. And and this is similar to what um, Paul says in Romans 1, that there's this thing called God's passive wrath. Wrath just means anger. And his passive wrath is this. He will let you go to your desires and give them over to you. Just go. And honestly, in some ways, that's a good parent because I'm not going to force you to love me. I'm not going to force you. Like when they're little parents, please force them. But as they get older, at some point you can't force them and you wouldn't want that anyway because behind closed doors, they ain't serving you. They are not going to do what you say. They don't do it out of love and honor. So Paul says that God lets them go to their desires, gives them over to it. And this is the same picture. He looks at the nations. He's like, fine, I'm done. I've tried. I've set you up. Go. And it says he scattered them and divided them and set up borders and gave different gods, sons of God, to the nations. That person's going to serve. That's going to serve. This is where the Bible talks about there's dominions and rulers and authorities. He divided it and gave them over, which is why now you have all these different gods and culture. This actually explains a lot if you understand this in Scripture, and Moses is trying to get us to get this, as you read other Scriptures. Because the very next chapter, and actually the end of 11, you're going to find this man named Abram, who G is going to speak on next week. And this new covenant with God, he says... I'm going to use you and make you a new nation to show my glory and to show my way is right to all the nations. God uses, he's the ultimate underdog story. You ever been in PE when you were elementary, you're the last person picked? I know I look super athletic. I raise artists, not athletes, okay? My kids are artists. They love to sing. They're great. We know about being, all right, Pate, sure. You're like, you're playing basketball, sure. God's like, okay, here's the nations. They've, they've scattered, they, they've got their gods, they've got their things. You go, you lead them. And he says, divine counsel, go for it. Hit, you, you, you try to lead them in the right way, good luck. I'm gonna take this dude, Abram, and I'm gonna create a nation out of him. And this is why, as that nation is Produced, they're going to other nations and they're conquering those nations because God is going, I'm right. My way is right. This is why it's not just genocide or things happening. God is trying to proclaim that his way is right while we continue to rebel and all heaven sees. This is what it's produced. This is why the book of Joshua, like they continue to go to all these nations and they're destroying even these giants, these Nephilim, because God is removing these things from the earth. You have to understand this stuff to get scripture. A great book called The Unseen Realm by Dr. Michael Heiser kind of paints this picture and he says this, Yahweh 
in effect decided that the people of the world's nations were no longer going to be in relationship with them. He disinherits them. He would begin anew. He would enter into covenant relationship with a new people that did not yet exist, Israel. This is the picture that we get. Now, let's go. Let's look at the whole Bible. Let's fast forward to the book of Acts. Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God. Jesus came proclaiming a new way. Change the way you think. Repent. God is doing a new thing. He's bringing all nations back to himself. He is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. John 4, Jesus dies a horrible death is buried and resurrects and tells his disciples, wait, don't go out, don't start going back on mission. Don't restore the garden mission of multiplying and sharing what God is doing. Wait, because you need power to do this. You need a unifying spirit and agent to help you do this. And it has us in the book of Acts chapter two, check this out. And watch the parallels of this New Testament story with the Tower of Babel. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Wind is always depicted and described as the Spirit of God. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And notice this, in divided tongues... As a fire, the fire always depicts the throne room of God, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, check this out, from every nation under heaven. It's like God has a plan. And at this sound, the multitude came together. You're going, what is going on? And they were all bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Verse 7. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? They're saying, what is happening? Like, they don't speak our language. How are we hearing not only our language, but our very dialect? This is miraculous. And then notice the nations. Now, if you don't know history very well, these are the exact same nations, just a different time period, the areas that are represented in Genesis 10 and 11. Parthians and Medes and Alamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed. I would say, we need to enter the Bible every time we enter the Bible amazed and a little perplexed. Because we don't stand over the Bible criti critically or stand beside it as if we are equal, but we stand under it. This is the idea of understanding scripture. We stand under it to listen, to have a humility that might be perplexing, but it's also amazing, this story of God. 
All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they're filled with new wine. They're crazy. They're drunk. The picture that scripture is trying to tell us, you've got one story of the nations gathering against God, and you've got this story of God gathering the nations. You've got one story of God dividing and dispersing. You've got another story of God unifying with one language and then dispersing to continue the mission of God later. You've got all the nations that are known, the ones he disinherited, he now brought back into unity in a beautiful mosaic of diversity and says, you are mine now. I inherit you again because of what Jesus has done. Listen, Jesus did not come just to punch a ticket to heaven for you. He came, listen, yes, to do that. But he came to undo these three falls. Number one, the fall that caused the punishment of sin, the blood of an animal, the covering of sin. This is the theological term justification, just as if I've never sinned. Jesus' blood covers us and justifies us like a court case, pronouncing us innocent because of what Jesus has done. So he comes and he undoes this problem of sin, separation from God. But listen, if that's all the story, that's it. You and I, we got our ticket to heaven and we live like we want to live. But he's like, no, no, no. See, I have a whole mission. And my mission involves not just saving you and plucking you out, but also, listen, destroying and undoing the power of sin in your life. Not just the punishment for sin, but the power. You know, you don't have to sin today. Jesus can free you of addiction. Jesus can free you of anything holding you back in the same manner that the spiritual rebellion came and deceived man. Jesus comes with truth and power and can deliver you in a moment with his presence. Jesus came not just to save you to go to heaven, but to sanctify you, to continue the salvation process as you trust him. He came to restore not just separation, but the very slavery of sin that holds you bound. And then finally, we see this in Genesis 11, the selfishness that the presence of sin brings. That selfishness is like, I can't trust anybody that doesn't act like me, look like me, talk like me, that's from my culture. I can't trust man because I'm a woman. I can't trust women because I'm a man. I can't trust white because I'm black. I can't trust black because I'm white. I can't trust this, this. And we have all of these divisions because of selfishness and sin that is so pervaded from Genesis. And Jesus comes in and says, I'm bringing the nations back. I'm no longer disinheriting them and just going after this nation. I've now brought them all back. Everyone is part of the family of God. Celebrate your culture. Celebrate your language. God is not here now to just make us all equal in that sense. He wants you to celebrate, but he does make us equal in the family of God that we have a new DNA, we have a new structure, we have a new way. And these are the three things Jesus came to undo. Don't limit God and his message of Jesus to just going to heaven. It's not the full story of God. The story of God is that he has inherited you, he's brought you back, and he says, come home, come home, come home. This is 
the message of glorification that one day we will be living without the very presence of sin. And we live in that, it says, the, the now but not yet, kingdom now but not quite yet fully grasped till Christ comes back. But you can live in that purpose in unity that God has called us from every tribe and tongue and nation, the book of Revelation says, bringing glory and praise and honor to him. This, of course, leads us into our time of communion. If you notice we have in front of you or if you're on the front, you have communion cups. If you'd like to join us in communion, this is, this is our response to God. As we said, repetition brings remembrance. The repetition of remembering Jesus and being thankful for all that Jesus has undone in this world through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. The fact that he would give us his very spirit to unite the church, to now press go in our lives, go make disciples, go out, don't be afraid. I have now restored and I'm here to bring this good news to all the nations, all those who've rebelled. This is the message of Jesus, the story of Jesus, the story of Chris. Chris. 